Welcome everyone to the latest episode on the Digital Dreamers Hub podcast. My name is Trudy Danso Osai and I'm going to be your host for today. Today I want to introduce you to an incredible guest. Her name is Jill Quinn and she is the Diversity, Inclusion and Belonging Program Manager at HubSpot. Today she's going to tell us all about her educational background in human rights law and how she pivoted into tech. We are also going to talk more about diversity, inclusion, and belonging as a whole, and how it's currently set up in in the tech space. Thank you, Trudy. Hi, everyone. Um, So as Trudy said, my name is Jill. Um, I'm based in Ireland, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I identify as a woman. I'm a cisgender woman, and I'm able-bodied, but I do live with chronic pain, and I identify as being neurodivergent. I'm really excited for the conversation today, Trudy. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited for you to be here. Thank you, Trudy. I'm so happy to be here. I was telling you this morning that I was quite nervous, but super (laughs) excited to have you on board right now. (laughs) I feel the same. (laughs) So I appreciate that, Trudy. (laughs) Fantastic. I'm also excited because I myself, I'm very passionate about this topic, diversity, inclusion and belonging. Uh, we know each other because we, we we've worked together uh, at Indeed. So um, yeah, this, this this is a topic that holds that's very dear to my heart. So that's why it's also another reason why I'm super excited to have you on today and talk more about your background and uh, your role, but also how you see the um, DINB space in in tech in general. So. First off, let us talk more about your educational background, because I know that you studied human rights law in Ireland, in Galway, to be be precise. What made you study study this course at uni? I love this question. (laughs) I think if I, when I think of how to answer this question, I have to go back far. So as I was growing up um, in Ireland, I'm Irish, and we learn a lot about history, about our history, Um, and about the world around us. And I was always so fascinated in women's rights and also social justice. Um, And I was really fascinated, particularly with this Frank when I was younger. So that set me down a path of learning about uh, different genocides and war crimes and involvement of women. Have have you, by the way, have you been to the museum before in Amsterdam? Yes, yes. Yes, I have. Um, I think I've gone three times now. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so I was really, really interested in that going, growing up. So I, I started out my, um, I guess, my university education studying history and politics. So I was learning about different political systems around the world. And I was so interested in, you know, the things that had happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And that's what brought me to law, because I was learning about what the things that are happening and thinking I don't want some of those things to ever happen again. Exactly. So what are the parameters that we have to prevent them from happening? Yeah. Oh, very interesting. And when did you come to a realization? Because eventually um, you didn't you didn't have like the traditional law career, you would say. When did you come to a realization or how did you come to a realization that you don't want to have that traditional law career, like being a lawyer and yeah. Yeah, so I had initially set out thinking that I wanted to be an international human rights lawyer. So I thought I wanted to work with the United Nations and particularly on war crimes. So I worked with the United Nations and I also worked with the International Bar Association, 
reviewing evidence um, of war crimes trials, of genocide, of, of really horrible instances around the world from former Yugoslavia, Cambodia, and like even looking back to World War II across Europe. Yeah. Um, and I realized that in reviewing the evidence, I'm an empath. Um, and so I really wanted to be part of something in the future. So rather yeah. than looking back, I wanted to be part of a future change. So I shifted um, from a focus in being a human rights lawyer to actually working in international development. Okay, nice. And can you tell us more about your role um, at, was it PLAN? Yes, yes. So PLAN International, Plan um, International. it's a children's rights organization that specifically focuses on women and young girls. Um, I was there for about nearly six years, I think. Um, and I, I loved it there. I started as an intern um, okay. and worked my way up um, as part of a gender equality and inclusion team. Our remit was quite broad. So we did everything from, you know, developing trainings on diversity and inclusion to developing communications, developing policies for the company um, and also um, advocating for change. So whether that was with governments, with, you know, parents and young people, it was very broad. I had the opportunity to travel around the world. Um, a lot of the programs I would have been involved in would have been across Latin America, okay. across Africa and Asia. Yeah. Um, I learned so much there and I feel like anyone who's listening that you know is from the non-for-profit, you realize very early on that there's low resources, so you do everything. Yeah. <laughs> so you get to learn everything. Great. And if you can mention one thing one impact that you and your team created when you were at Plan International, what has stuck oh, stuck with you since then? Like, can you name mm. one that you think, wow, I'll never forget this, this experience or the impact we had on, on this project? Yes, I feel, oh, Trudy, actually, that's emotional when I'm thinking of answering. So one of the programs that I managed was on LGBTQ plus inclusion. So a lot of this program aimed at helping children and young people understand there's their own sexual orientation their own gender identity and how to create an inclusive environment yeah. but it also meant working with their parents and their teachers um, and with local lgbtiq plus organizations and for me the biggest impact is seeing those conversations happen mm -hmm. so having you know facilitated conversations with young people exactly. yeah. and then seeing the impact and seeing that it really did change their perspectives we did surveys before and after to measure the change and like on a whole like everyone felt more comfortable regardless of their sexual orientation or gender identity yeah. so seeing that change in a person was really really profound but also a ripple effect of that was the conversations also then happened in our office environment. Okay. So I had colleagues around me that, you know, were felt that they belonged more in the company because we were having these conversations oh, wow. on a global level. That's and I had people, you know, coming out or people, you know, um, feeling that they truly could be themselves in the workplace because we were doing that work. So it was very empowering. That sounds incredible. Like, honestly, like I, I, I even have chills right now. <laughs> Oh, Trudy. <laughs> it's really it's it's really amazing especially if you see the impact so close to you that even your colleagues are you know yeah it's 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 amazing thank you for sharing Jill thank you for um, asking 
And why did you want to pivot into tech? Because right now you're working uh, at HubSpot, one of the, you know, every like LinkedIn is talking about it. <laughs> HubSpot is the place to be, I think. <laughs> but you're working for this amazing tech company, like you've worked previously for a different tech company, like Indeed. Like, why did you want to pivot into tech? Like, what, what, what were you drawn to mm. uh, of the whole tech industry? So I never thought I would work. Oh in corporate or in tech or in oh, private really? sector. Okay. I always set out to, you know, work in the not-for-profit. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the move was a difficult one to make. It was a lot of reflection, a lot of, you know, thinking of what I needed um, to grow and, and to learn. Um, I had been traveling continuously. So with, with Plan International, I was so fortunate to go to such amazing locations, but it also took a toll on my mental health. Um, and I, I suffer from clinical depression. So I really do need to be uh, on point with how I'm looking after myself. Yep. So I was really, really burnt out and I was looking at my career progression and there was opportunities in, in the company, but it would have been more traveling, more commitment um, to really not being in Ireland um, when it was a time when I needed to. So I did my research. I looked into different companies, um, particularly looking at their values, what kind of products the different tech companies made, where their reach was, like in terms of location. Um, And then um, a role at Indeed came up. um, And one of my best friends actually works at Indeed. So she was able to really tell me, you know, what is the culture like? What is it like to work there? And and answer, I think, more uh, (laughs) directly (laughs) than others. Um, And then so I made the shift. And I think one of the key things that kind of helped make that shift was the team I was joining. So uh, I I was joining a colleague who also came from human rights background. So we were able to to connect and understand and it was a big culture shock for me. (laughs) And so they were able to help me in that transition. So yes, and I also think a huge part is I realized, I think when I was younger, I felt that the only way to achieve change was in that activism role. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I'm understanding that I can still have a positive impact in corporate sector. And actually the the reach that you can have is quite large. Okay. So you can think of like, let's say for example, Indeed, when we think of our job seekers, you can have huge impact on the world by thinking of underrepresented or marginalized job seekers. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. it was that mind, what's it called? The, the shift in the mindset. Great. And and speaking of impacting your role, like some people might not know exactly what your role entails. Can you tell us more about your role, your responsibility within the company? And what do you absolutely love about your role? Yes. So I joined HubSpot two months ago, so I'm still figuring out like what really is my role. Um, and I think I can kind of bucket it in a few ways. So one is I'm, I act as an amplifier for marginalized groups. So I help uh, people come together and hope that they feel empowered to share feedback, use their voice, et cetera. But I also amplify that up. So whether it's amplifying up to our chief people officer or to our CEO, ensuring that underrepresented voices are really heard. And then I also execute programs to support marginalized groups. So for example, that could be um, leading employee resource groups or ERGs, um, you know, helping ERG leaders who, you know, they really are doing amazing work on top of their day-to-day role. So how can I make that easier for them? How can I, how can I support so that they can truly thrive? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think also a key part of that is coaching and mentoring. 
um, people. So whether it's thinking about, you know, professional development or personal development, how can I help them? How can I amplify their voice? And particularly as an ally to many communities, how can I stand back and realize a lot of times it's not for me to even be there. It is for someone else to be there, which is really important. Um, And I think how that works in a day-to-day role of look, how do I do that is I spend a lot of my time building relationships and connecting with people, understanding what it is they need, um, managing different programs. So for example, um, developing training, uh, internal training on content. Um, I'm I'm doing one at the moment on gender equity. then other examples might be developing out coaching and mentoring programs, maybe where we bring in external organizations in to help us yeah. um, and to really pinpoint what are some of the challenges we're having. So it's quite, quite broad and every day looks different. Mm-hmm. Um, I work a lot with our colleagues in Asia, so I'm often up very early, okay. um, <laughs> which I love because then I get some of my day back in the afternoon. Exactly. <laughs> um, and a key part, and I think my favorite of the role is learning. So I'm always understanding, you know, more cultural nuances. Um, I'm always understanding innovative, like solutions and tech in the world around diversity, inclusion and belonging. And I'm also learning that, you know, nothing is stable. Nothing is stationary. It's language evolves every day. What we talk about evolves every day. So it's just that constant learning from people um, that I absolutely adore. Amazing. Amazing. And and speaking of your role, I know there might be some people right now listening to you, listening how you're so passionate about <laughs> your job that they think like, okay, this sounds interesting, but I might not come from the same background. Not sure if this is for me, but sounds interesting, right? What are some of the transferable skills you think you need to have in order to be successful in a role as DIMB program manager or specialist? I think this is such an important point, Trudy, because I feel like sometimes there's almost like a mystery of the role. So there's uncertainty of like what value can people add? Mm -hmm. I think a key one is around creativity. Um, So it's thinking outside of the box in terms of the things we want to do. So, for example, we often think of, uh, you know, mentorship and coaching is the only way to um, lift and empower women, but it's not the only way. So how can we think create? creatively and innovatively um, about those type of programs. I also think, you know, the general ones of time management and organization are key, particularly uh, like program management um, skills. I think if anyone has those type of skills or event planning, it's always really, really beneficial. A huge one is communication. So whether it's written, whether it's, you know, um, developing content, I'm currently using how to use Canva. um, for. (laughs) I love love Canva. It's my go-to platform. Oh my goodness. I never even knew about it and I love it. (laughs) And like people listening and I will probably think that your podcast is sponsored by Canva. (laughs) No, disclaimer, it's not. (laughs) So that's that's a key one is like, communication but also like adapting your communication so experience of whether it's talking to clients or customers to whether it's talking to senior leadership and CEO is is how do you how do you communicate inclusively um I think and I think the other one is around strategy and research so 
like for anyone listening that maybe come from not-for-profit, we spend so much of our time doing uh, donor reporting. So reporting to donors on what it is we want to achieve and how do we measure it and how are we going to, uh, you know, use the budget that we're provided. So that's key to strategy and development. Or even if you're in sales and you're thinking of the different ways that you reach your targets and how you can shift and adapt the approach to suit the customer needs, that's also relevant. So I think there's a lot of transferable skills um, that are beneficial to the breadth of different DIMB roles around there. Mm -hmm. Sounds very interesting because I think sometimes we can really think in boxes like, oh my God, I don't have, you know, maybe uh, a diversity and inclusion background or maybe just like really like a human rights law background might not be a fit, then they're like, okay, no, I'm not going to apply for it. But hearing you say that actually there are so many transferable skills that are of value in this role, that's amazing. So you can work in an entire completely, a completely different industry or a complete different role, but still have those valuable transferable skills that that kind of role is looking for in order to be successful. That's awesome. That's amazing. And also, I'm, what I'm curious at, because this has been happening, I would say, the last two years in the Netherlands. Like, DRMB roles have been increasing in, in, in the Netherlands, for example, but I'm, not, I'm sure that in many different markets that has been the case. Why do you think companies are now seeking, seeking to hire DRMB specialists? Yes, so I've noticed that trend globally. And I've noticed it from companies who've never seemed to have shown an external interest mm -hmm. or focus. You've also, I've also seen it from companies who you would assume are maybe not the most ethical of companies and now wanting to, to hire someone. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of catalysts for why now. I think the key one was the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think a lot of companies were making external statements. They were also having a lot of internal conversations and getting feedback from employees. So there was a an extra external need to take a stance. Um, I also think that a lot of investors are, are really starting to ask these questions. Okay. So particularly as it relates to ESG, so environmental social governance, mm -hmm. a lot of investors and also um, board members are asking around you know, how are you increasing representation of women or how are you increasing representation of um, black or people of color in your all levels of the business? So I think that was a key push. And I also think for a lot of companies, there has been employee resource groups or there has been HR professionals who have been advocating mm. for someone yeah. to be in the role for many, many years. And a lot of times this type of work would have fallen on people like E or G leaders that, okay. you know, take up, take up these extra work. Um, and it often falls on the most marginalized to, you know, showcase why it's important that we talk about the disability community or why is it important that we talk about, you know, um, the importance of allyship in, in the workforce. So I think a lot of that kind of came together. And also, I feel if we look at the workforce now, particularly with with people that are, um, you know, entering the workforce, mm -hmm. that generation is a lot more socially minded and socially That's conscious. True. That's so true. they want to work for companies that are, you know, being sustainable, making um, like ethical choices, but also taking a stand for something. And um, mm -hmm. so I think there's a lot of 
there's a lot of reasons and I find as well from even talking with different friends and, and, and in my network is that there's a big difference. So there's some companies that are hiring for roles and they're not supporting the people they hire in. They're expecting too much of the people they hire yeah. in. Yeah. So it's, you know, if you are thinking of moving into this type of role is mm-hmm. understanding and asking those questions. Why have they not had the role until now? Okay. What have they done to date regarding diversity, inclusion and belonging? Yeah. And yeah. what are the resources that they're going to put behind um, these types of initiatives? Great. This, this is so insightful. Exactly. These are, this is, it, it's very key to have an understanding like why now and what, what has been done previously. And yeah, so that you know, like what you're getting yourself into basically. For exactly. And I think as well, why now and for how long? So for example, I've seen different roles come up for like maybe 11 month contracts or a consultancy. And so that's really great if it's in the short term, but there needs to be a longer term plan. Um, and a lot of companies as well are looking for quick wins. They want to just hire in, you know, X amount of people into the role and then tick that box. Yeah. So it's really unpacking the why is, is truly important. It's true. It's true. And speaking of diversity and inclusion, how diverse and inclusive do you feel the tech industry is at the moment, in your opinion? This is a tough question, Trudy. Um, When I think of my LinkedIn feed, (laughs) or I think of reading different diversity reports, so diversity reports are external reports from companies where they talk about the percentage of women in leadership, the percentage of marginalized groups, et cetera everything seems to be improving. Like the needle seems to be moving. The amount of people in my LinkedIn feed who, you know, have just started in DIMB roles or have been promoted. So everything seems great in terms of representation. Mm -hmm. But then when I talk with people and I, and I connect and I listen, I feel a lot of unhappiness from marginalized. They sense maybe a little bit of tokenism and they feel they have to consistently prove why they're in those roles because oftentimes people make assumptions of why they were promoted or why they were hired in because of their race or because of their of their gender identity um so i think that there's a lot more that we can do and i think one of the trends i'm really really noticing is that in this effort to be more diverse and more inclusive we sometimes forget the community aspect mm. and that a lot of tech I see is going in this more individual approach, like mm-hmm. the, the individual employee, uh, you know, really setting their targets and setting their own goals and sometimes forgetting about the community and working collaboratively. Yeah. So it doesn't always foster that inclusive space. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a tough question. I think we're, we're getting in the right direction, but I think there's a lot of room for uh, reflection and improvement. I think the next question is going to go deeper into what you just mentioned about community because the word belonging, it's it's now diversity, inclusion and belonging. I I remember a few years back, I didn't I, I didn't really understand the word belonging. I, I couldn't really grasp why the word has been added to it, but now I understand like it's pivotal to have it there. So I was just wondering, like, what does the word belonging mean to you? And how do you think teams within an organization can continuously 
embrace and implement this because I feel like as you are saying yes you can have like a very diverse uh, team but maybe you will ask them individually they could they could give an answer like I don't really feel like I really belong I'm there but mm -hmm. I don't really feel like I'm I, I do belong or I'm I'm really part of the team because you know it could be of different reasons I don't really understand their jokes you know they they don't really include me in when we go for lunch it can be all sorts so I'm really curious like um what's your take on this how do you how important is this to you and how do you feel teams can really mm. work with that word so belonging is just oh, it's, it's key to everything I do so whether it's in work but also in personal life of where I live like who who I'm friends with how I spend my time um and I think if we think of it from a company perspective, just because a company is inclusive and just because there's diverse representation, it does not mean that there will always be a sense of belonging. For me, belonging means that I feel safe and I feel I can be myself. And when I say myself, I do not mean my whole self. You know, this phrase of bring your whole self to work. I don't want to bring my whole self to work. I want to remain part of me being at home, uh, private to my life. So it, it's bringing my best self um, to work. Oh, I, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Bringing your best self. That yeah. Can be, that can be a balance of both. Or maybe a bit more towards professional and a little bit less like personal that's up to you right yeah exactly and it's that's also crazy. it depends on like different day or how I'm feeling or you know even like what time of the month it is is like <laughs> what kind of best self am I going to be exactly. <laughs> um, and so I think when I think of like belonging for me a key part is that safety so feeling safe feeling uh, that I can trust my peers that I can trust my manager that I can trust the company to have my interests um, at heart. So to give yeah. me that flexibility to lead with empathy um, when we might have different things going on in our personal lives. So I feel it's, it for me, it's just that gut feeling that I am where I'm supposed to be, that I'm surrounded by people I can learn from, that I can also uh, be honest with. I can share feedback. It's just having that sense that I am where I am for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I think it's often I, I've seen a lot of um, different kind of ways that we can talk about what is belonging. And one of them that always sets at me is finding that like that tribe, that group that you connect with. Yeah. It might not be, you know, finding a sense of belonging because we share the same gender or because yeah. we're from the same location. It might be we have the same interest in podcasts or yeah. in, in gardening or maybe it's something in terms of we communicate the same way. We're both introverts. Yeah. So I think there's so many ways that you can connect and feel that you belong. Sure. Um, and then you asked around, you know, how can teams really embrace belonging? And I think the key one for me is when you're in a team meeting or when you're uh, part of a team is who is not always there. So who maybe has their camera off sometime, who maybe is not responding in like Slack if you use it, um, and maybe they feel a little bit like an outsider. So how can you notice them and value them in their own way? How do they want to be acknowledged and recognized? Um, I think that's really, really key. Not everybody feels comfortable, you know, speaking on a, on a team meeting and sharing their wins. Yeah. So do they prefer to send it in maybe like a weekly update to the team? I also think making space for fun is really important. Um, 
I, as I said, I joined HubSpot about two months ago. And one of the things I'm really enjoying is on a Friday, we have what's called like coffee and tea time. So we okay. meet for 20 minutes. It's really informal. There's no work chat allowed. And we do different things. So last week we asked like a question of the day. So we all took turns asking questions ranging from how do you like to rest and unwind to what book are you reading at the moment? Okay, nice. And it's so nice because it's just oh, yeah. like having conversation, True. like just having conversation and True. laughing, but also sharing. So okay. if there was something challenging that we went through that week is sharing it out. Um, another key area I think is for leadership is to be vulnerable and to share their own uh, stories and perspective and be opening to listening and learning just because yeah. you have the title of leader doesn't yeah. mean that you know everything for um sure. and one thing that always stands out for me is when we talk about diversity inclusion and belonging in teams that might mean having conversations in you know, team meetings around diversity inclusion and belonging don't always assume that the you know the only black person on your team should be the one delivering mm. those conversations mm. like rotate it a bit yeah yeah <laughs> I know all about it <laughs> good points here thank you so much Jill what I also want to know and that's the last question and this is for I know like I've been speaking to a lot of people that really want to pivot into tech and but also are looking into DIMB, um, what are some practical advice that you can give someone who's listening right now and is like eager to revamp their resume, revamp their LinkedIn and go for it, go apply for a role, for a DIB role in tech? What are some practical advices that you can give them in terms of maybe getting referred or where to look at, like, or what key what keywords to use in their resume? Yeah. What, what are some practical uh, tips that you can give them? So I think um, the first one would be is where can you add value? So what skill sets do you have that would be really beneficial to DIMB teams? So for example, are you client facing? Does that mean that you're really great at building relationships and, and speaking with executives? Are you um, really creative and maybe have an interest in facilitation of education programs all of these different things so what is your skill set and what can you bring to the table and then it's kind of like unpacking your own toolbox of diversity inclusion and belonging lean into the areas like what do I know about so for example if I look at my knowledge I feel very knowledgeable when it comes to women's rights and to LGBTIQ plus inclusion but not so much on you know the vastness of religion so I really leaned into learning about different religions. And there's a book actually that I have, it's called It's Not About the Burqa. Um, and it was really, really interesting learning different perspectives of Muslim women um, globally. And so it's, it's really figuring out what am I good at? What are the areas where I feel really comfortable having difficult conversations on? And what are the areas I need to learn more about? Mm -hmm. And I also think like in terms of very um, practical steps is like, listen to podcasts, read books, like build your own library of, of diversity, inclusion and belonging related books and content from around the world. Um, on LinkedIn, follow people um, in, you know, the chief diversity officers or diversity, inclusion and belonging program managers and, and leaders, follow them and see what they're doing and how they communicate. 
connect with them. Um, ideally, if you can find a mentor, which I think can be very difficult in the current environment, because a lot of it is reaching out to people you've never met on LinkedIn and asking them to be your mentor. Yeah. So maybe it's it's finding a different approach to that. So maybe it's connecting with someone you already know and seeing if they could connect you with somebody um, and, and kind of that ripple effect or signing up to online um, mentorship and coaching programs. Um, and I, I think in terms of the practicalities, there's a lot of great diversity, inclusion and belonging um, newsletters that you can subscribe to and they will give you overview of events, but also a lot of jobs. Okay. Um, so there's one in the UK, it's called the DNI Leaders Forum and they send a regular uh, newsletter. Um, and that's really great for seeing roles, particularly in Europe. Um, and I also think one thing I'm noticing is like the power of LinkedIn. So going onto LinkedIn yeah. every few days and, and, and seeing in terms of jobs, what I'm noticing is companies are using lots of different words to describe mm -hmm. diversity, inclusion and belonging. So oftentimes it might be diversity, equity and inclusion or diversity, equity, equality and inclusion. Oftentimes it's also called maybe culture or uh people uh, like people officer and um, so I think there's quite a broad remit and also one challenge I'm noticing is that when you google uh, or search on you know different job search engines for inclusion or for belonging a lot of companies are integrating that as part of the you know their values so then random jobs show up that are not relevant for inclusion and belonging oh, yeah. so when you find one save that and then get your uh, you know your updates off the basis of that um and i just i guess the thing is as well as that what i noticed going through different recruitment processes myself and hiring for roles myself is there's such a broad range of people applying there's people yeah. who are so passionate yeah. so it's it's making sure that you're demonstrating that passion very practically so whether it's you know you've got interest in doing podcasts um, or whether it's you've got you've written blogs or articles is like really showcasing that and building that presence but I think to be honest really like the most important one for me is why do you want to do this work exactly because it's yeah. it's tiring it's challenging and I think yeah. particularly when you're from a um, you know a historically marginalized group you're take you already take on a lot of burden and then you're taking on more and it becomes your your actual job yeah. so it, it's very challenging so think about why do you want to do it and I think I've seen a lot of folks who have thought they want to do it do it for maybe one year or two and then return which is is great like that's a great addition to your career path but mm -hmm. is it something that you want to do long term yeah. are you set up for success in terms of your own uh, like mental health and well-being are you comfortable with having really frustrating and difficult conversations, conversations. And almost yeah. sometimes like conversations are essentially like, oh, this is why I exist. Like, this yeah. is why it's important for you to listen to me. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for these tips. Like, even in my head, I'm like, oh, interesting. Check. Check. <laughs> Check. Very interesting. And I think, would it be fair to add also this one by saying, you need to be okay by not seeing overnight success in the work that you will put in. Because I can imagine if you come from a sales background or uh, like me, I'm doing client success specialist, we will have KPIs. It's either you hit it or not. You know, you can see the 
success over in a few months time but i can imagine in your role it's not necessarily the case so i guess you need to be comfortable with that as well like the seed you're planting it may not show like the next day you may not see the flower the next morning or even the month after that or maybe even in the in a quarter is that is that fair to add Oh, definitely. I think that's the thing that, you know, when I have my moments of why do I do this work? <laughs> it's often because you don't see those quick results. Um, so it's remembering that what you're trying to do is long term, like social norm and transformational change. It's not going to happen overnight. And for it to be sustainable, it shouldn't really happen overnight. Yeah. There is things, of course, that are like quicker wins and, and things that give us that endorphin hit when they happen. But it's knowing that um, like the short of it is that you're working to try and change behaviors that are mm -hmm. that are harmful. Yeah. And I also think is, as I mentioned before, like I'm continuously learning and I'm continuously trying to bring that intersectional perspective to the work we do. So you might feel that your work might solve for one community, but it doesn't solve for all. So as we talk more about, you know, uh, women's rights movements and, and, and like improving the working conditions for women, we also need to think about, you know, women of colour, women with disabilities, women who, you know, English isn't their first language, etc. Yeah. So yeah. even though you might feel you're making change in one area, it's always, always, always going to be needing more. So it's remembering that. And I think remembering those personal connections and that personal impact is a key driver. Um, even if I think of my own like family and friends and the difference in conversations we've had from years ago to now, you I, I can see that growth. I can see that change now. But a few years ago, it was like hitting my head against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Thank you so much, Jill, for being here on the podcast. Like it was an amazing conversation today. Like honestly, I enjoyed and yeah, thank you so much for all the information that you've shared, like the insights that you've given us. And also like you're such an inspiration, inspiration, seriously. And I'm sure a lot of listeners right now will think the same. So thank you so much. I hope thank you, you enjoyed. How, oh, I how, did. How are the nerves? Oh, I'm actually really, I feel like I could talk for so much longer. <laughs> I also wish, I wish we were in person um, rather than, you know, in a Zoom in Ireland and in the Netherlands yeah. <laughs> and we can celebrate. But no, I've enjoyed it. And thanks so much. Like, I'm, it's so great to see you having kind of really grown and thrived in your role in Indeed and, and now continuing on this incredible adventure and venture. Um, so I'm very, very inspired by you too, Trudy. Oh, thank you so much. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you all for tuning in and I'll catch you in the next episode.